Bristol Business School and Bristol Law School at UE Bristol bring you the Future Impact podcast series. In this series, we're delving into the topics that you want to discuss, from life-changing research and cutting-edge technology to brand new ways of thinking. We will be calling on UE Bristol academics and real-world practitioners to help us get the answers and share their industry knowledge and insights. Welcome to episode one of our Future Impacts podcast series. Our podcast today is on enterprise skills, benefiting the workplace and entrepreneurs, and we're joined by three fantastic guests. I'd like to give a warm welcome to Vari Threffel, Lydia Samuels, and Peter Ball. We're excited to have you with us today, and I'm really looking forward to speaking with each of you about entrepreneurship and enterprise skills. I'd like to start by introducing Vari, a senior enterprise consultant here at UE Bristol. Welcome to the Future Impact podcast, Vari. Thank you. Can you tell me a bit more about yourself and your experience? I have worked in enterprise entrepreneurship for almost a decade. So I started off uh, actually running my own business. On graduation, I came up with an idea. I thought, this is great. Rather than going down the route of a graduate job, why not set my own thing up? Um, And it was incredibly difficult, (laughs) really, really hard. And uh, during that time, I was working um, partly as entrepreneur residents at the University of Bristol. So helping them set up their Shun incubator. And it was through that process that I realised I was becoming much more passionate about helping students with their ideas than I was actually about my own. That's how I kind of got into the enterprise entrepreneurship field, uh, moved over to UE in 2011. And since then, I've, I've held a, a variety of different uh, roles from developing a comprehensive extracurricular program, so our own um, incubator space here, um, right through to uh, my current role, which is around embedding enterprise entrepreneurship in the curriculum. Fantastic. Thanks, Vari. Um, and just a question to get us kicked off then. What does enterprise and entrepreneurship mean to you? Historically, there's been quite a lot of different interpretations, I think, of, of enterprise and entrepreneurship. So certainly in the academic literature, there's a lot of debate around, around definitions. What do we mean by enterprise and entrepreneurship? Mm-hmm. Um, there are also quite a lot of cultural preconceptions. So I think The Apprentice, Dragon's Den, have kind of shaped really in society those words um, in a particular context. And you've also often got this idea of the heroic entrepreneur, so the Elon Musk, the Richard Branson. Um, so it's quite interesting when I think about what enterprise entrepreneurship means to me, understanding that that cultural frame that I'm operating within, which doesn't necessarily reflect how I perceive those terms. So as a higher education professional, um, we recognised almost like quite early on 2012 when a lot of policy was starting to say enterprise entrepreneurship is really important. Employers were going, yeah, we want students with an enterprise mindset. The importance of getting those definitions right. So. For me, I very much prescribe to the um, quality assurance agency definitions of enterprise entrepreneurship. So I see enterprise as being very much a mindset and then entrepreneurship being very much that process of, of creating value. So that value could be commercial value, that could be social value, or it could be cultural value. So the definition itself is around developing students with an enhanced capacity to generate ideas and the behaviours, attributes and competencies to make them happen. So that's very much kind of how I see it. So it's really moving away from the identity, so moving away of how an individual can become an entrepreneur to how a person can become more entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And certainly within a higher education context, we kind of recognise that not all of our students are going to go on and set up 
businesses and they're not all going to be self-employed. But actually those, those skills that an entrepreneur has, creative idea generation, opportunity spotting, financial acumen, etc., are really, really valuable to, to employers. So we, we've started to frame it in a UE context um, as enterprise and entrepreneurship as a competency. So seeing that as a, as a key skill for a lot of our graduates. So Vari, what skills do students need to become work ready and resilient? This is the endless uh, task really that we have um, at an institution, um, is understanding what skills our students need in order to be successful in graduation, whether it is that they go into employment or, or self-employment. Um, and there's very much two models we kind of employ to kind of understand this. The first is um, what you describe as a self-efficacy model. So this is where we use labour market information, uh, conversations we've had with employers, getting a real understanding about what skills they require. And that could be from a regional perspective or it could be from a national perspective, European-wide, etc. So understanding the changing job markets, where most of our students in particular degree programmes are going on to and what sort of skills those, those employers are requiring. And then the second approach is, is much more developmentalist. So rather than necessarily responding just to, to, to what the employers are asking for, this is about the student as an individual and understanding what their passions are, what their drivers are. Um, and the developmentalist model, we use something called Tilly's Dots, which was um, created by one of our careers consultants here at UWE, um, called Tilly Line. And it takes students really through a pathway approach to understanding themselves. So it starts with a know yourself element, getting them to then know their options, getting them to prepare and do so, try something out and then reflect and build on that experience. And they may go through that cycle, you know, several times. But the key thing is, is that they're able to try different things. And that's where it's so important that within the curriculum we've built in opportunities so that we're inclusive for students to try try different options, whether it is a particular work placement, an internship, or, or self-employed options. That is kind of our, our main approaches to kind of understanding what skills students need. Fantastic. Mm. And what would you say needs to be changed or developed to better prepare students in terms of their enterprise skills? So as I mentioned, um, UE's taking sort of real leadership in this space. So through our two strategies, UE um, strategy 2020 and then moving to 2030, uh, we've really kind of given a lot of thought to this, actually. How do you develop enterprise skills? Um, what are the key techniques? Um, particularly when we're thinking about embedding it in the curriculum. And it's interesting to look at the history of this um, because a lot of enterprise and entrepreneurship academic literature has come out from the United States of America. They've developed um, some really interesting models for, for developing enterprise skills, particularly through some of their, their big sort of entrepreneurship programs. And one of the key things they focus on often is, is failure, which seems like an odd thing to think about in a university context, because in a university context, failure is a bad thing. <laughs> you don't want to fail your degree. You don't want to get a bad mark in your degree. But in America, they, they, they've reframed failure away from an identity where you might go, I am a failure, to a action, I failed, what can I learn from it? And they've done this... Um, because they've recognised actually that a lot of the successful entrepreneurs and, and a lot of investors will say this to you, um, tend to fail you know, one, two, three or four times before they actually hit on the success. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because the processes that they've gone through, they've actually learnt, they've iterated, they've developed their idea. Um, it's very rarely a linear thing. I've got an idea, I implement and it's successful. 
So what really needs to be changed in terms of the, the UK context is very much that, that cultural approach to failure and failure within a university context. Mm -hmm. So giving students opportunities to fail. So I use the word safe place to fail, mm -hmm. safe place to try out new ideas, safe place to test new concepts is really, really important. So one of the key things I think that needs to change really in the UK system is, is embracing a little bit more the idea of failure, building in teaching and learning strategies to enable students to, to try out those ideas. So at UWE, we've got some really interesting and innovative approaches. So we've got something called the Team Entrepreneurship Programme, where essentially students over the course of three years set up and run their own business um, and test out ideas, which is really exciting, really innovative, and students are very much um, trying out those enterprise skills. Beyond the business school, though, this is equally important. So uh, within the creative sectors, they've looked at actually segmenting their degree programs into three pathways. So professional, enterprise and research, giving students to try out those different pathways and start to understand their passions and the directions that they want to go in. So it's like enterprise, but across those, those three pathways, so trying things out. We really need to understand how we're benchmarking this. So one of the exciting things that I've been involved in is looking at a benchmarking tool, so a framework, so how we recognize the key learning outcomes. I mentioned at the beginning, um, that I see very much enterprise entrepreneurship as being a competency. Um, so enterprise is a competency, okay, what are those, those key things that we need to be touching on? So that could be value creation, that could be um, opportunity spotting, that self-awareness, um, you know, financial, financial acumen, etc. So building those, those key things in as, as, as benchmarks and then enabling that throughout the curriculum also then helps with their articulation skills because students go, okay, well, yeah, that was my learning outcome. That's what my assessment is. I can see how those two things tie together and I see how I've developed that through, through this process. So I think building that in and also ensuring that we get a lot more reflection through and by doing that, by enabling our students to almost like live entrepreneurial lives, it enables them to develop that comfort with ambiguity and uncertainty. And therefore, um, when they go out into the workplace, they, they've got those, those enterprise skills, that resilience, and, and are able to be successful with their future lives. So welcome to Lydia Samuel from ACH, who's their entrepreneurship lead. Lydia, can you tell me just a little bit more about what you do? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, so ACH are a company that specialises in the resettlement of refugees. Uh, we were predominantly a housing association, but we have developed from Bristol into the West Midlands as well and provide a full round support for refugees to resettle kind of thoroughly with their careers, with their housing situation and latterly the entrepreneurship side, which is what I lead. So what would you say is the main challenge facing refugee and migrant entrepreneurs? Well, there are actually several. Um, one of the key challenges which we are trying to address at ACH is actually access to finance. So this is huge and it should not be underestimated. One of the things that people don't recognise when refugees first come to the UK is that they have no credit history. And actually being able to build up a credit history is cru crucially important and critical, mm -hmm. particularly if you ever want to take out a business loan. So that's something that's a real barrier. Um, banks are unwilling to take risks, generally, mm -hmm. let alone with a refugee who doesn't have any credit yeah. history. Mm -hmm. yeah. So few lenders are Sharia compliant and that's also a big issue because many people I work with are of Muslim faith okay. and the loans are all interest bearing So, okay. and that's a real big barrier in itself. So we're actually hoping to address that so um, the City Council, Bristol City Council are involved in helping us trying to address options and solutions mm -hmm. um, but we are still looking at various different ways to do that. Um, the other barriers are networks. Um, a lot of people kind of mm -hmm 
preempt them as, oh, people just need to know how to do a business plan. Actually, many refugees have an entrepreneurial background. Yeah. What they need is networks in order to be able to carry out and use their skills and, and carry out their, their dreams and their ambitions. So actually access to information mm -hmm. and access to networks is a huge one. We have such a wealth of support in the West of England region, yeah. um, from academic support to grassroots business level support to anything kind of to do with high-tech scale-ups, creative businesses, social enterprise. There's a real big culture and community of business support in the region. Mm -hmm. But refugees and migrants don't know it exists yeah. and that's actually a key barrier so one of the things that we're trying to address at ACH is to be um, a facilitation between that so yeah. we work with the refugees and actually we work with the business community and we're trying to build bridges and build access for those entrepreneurs mm. to be able to get the support that they need mm. so you've already touched on this a little and you've said mm -hmm. there is a wealth of opportunity but mm -hmm. but what key opportunities are there, are there for marginalized communities so there are lots of opportunities, however, there are also those additional barriers because they don't recognise those opportunities are for them. Mm -hmm. So one of the things actually that this has actually been recognised by the Centre for Entrepreneurs, so I'd like to pay special kind of mention to them because they are, have launched a project which is funded by the Home Office and Lottery England, of which we are recipients of the grant. Um, they've recognised those opportunities and challenges and there are four programmes going on around the country um, that are hoping to address those in various different ways. Yeah. So the opportunities that we're promoting at the moment is we're doing some fireside chats. Okay. So, and this is actually to give role model status mm -hmm. to successful refugee entrepreneurs in Bristol and the UK. So I'll hopefully be bringing in guest speakers and really showcasing the talent mm -hmm. to use that as inspiration for those newly arrived to our communities. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be offering one-to-one -one support as well, So, and again, that's an opportunity for people to get direct and really critical information that they need for their business. Um, and we are also going to be using that to signpost to the other business support organisations, as I've already mentioned. So mm -hmm. we do work regularly with Outset and Get Set for Growth, Brave, Prince's Trust, they've been massively supportive of the project and have worked with a number of entrepreneurs that I've sent their way. Um, as UI as well, we're hopefully developing a long-term partnership with UI as well, so, and, um, which we're really excited about. So again, lots of opportunities, but it's just making sure people know about them, mm -hmm. which is the key thing. So, and we're also, in response to one of the barriers I've mentioned about finance, we're also linking up with the Community Innovation Fund, and we will be creating a micro-lending circle which will be around microfinance for micro business, but again, trying to build a community business support around refugee entrepreneurs. So you obviously meet and work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the top skills that entrepreneurs need to be successful? Well, for any entrepreneur, you need the skill to be able to do the job that you want to do. Um, so, for example, I'm working with um, an Iraqi gentleman who is an engineer. He is more than qualified, he has all sorts of degrees to be an engineer. That's the first and foremost, you need the, the skill set to be able to do what you need to do. One of the things I would like to focus on, more so qualities rather than skills. So as long as you've got the skill to actually carry out the job, what you need is the qualities, which is drive, passion, and resilience. I know Vary mentioned resilience earlier on, and actually that for me is the most critical thing to be an entrepreneur. And that is something that refugees have in space. We just don't, we don't even recognize the resilience that refugees have. Um, we haven't been through their journey. And they are phenomenal, phenomenal people who 
have a drive to support their families, to integrate. And that's one thing I really want to get across is actually entrepreneurs from a refugee background like to use their skills to integrate into society and create jobs for other people. So those are skills and mindset that they bring with them. And that's something that we could really, really harness here. Okay, so also from your perspective, how can businesses rethink their hiring practices in order to utilise the entrepreneurial skills that are gained by individuals? So the first thing I would ask people to consider is their transferable skills. So that's the one thing that people are able to bring with them when they come to this country is their skills. They've had to leave family, they've left friends, they've left every part of that piece of their belonging that they have, but they have their skills and they have a great mindset. And that is one that they have, they want to work, they're dedicated, and anybody that gives them a chance that they might experience over mm. the last 18 months, they repay tenfold with dedication, loyalty is a really big thing, and really look at their skills that they do have. For example, I mentioned the um, Iraqi gentleman who's an engineer. So he's not looking for a job, but if he was, what could we actually bring across? So he's all detail-orientated, precision, attention to detail. He's perfectly timely, he's always turning up, he's dedicated, he's hardworking, and he knows what it is to be um, almost a kind of a person of all trades because that's what you are when you set up a business. So actually you could probably turn your hand to an awful lot of skills when you do that. So utilising those skills within your company, really kind of get to know who refugees are mm -hmm. and people from newly arrived communities, understand them, understand their motivations. Um, and really know them as people and not what the media say mm. they are. So ACH, we started a campaign called Rethinking Refugee. Um, and if you look at the hashtag Rethinking Refugee, you'll see lots of stories that we've kind of put out across that. Mm. Um, and it's really understanding who these people are, what they bring, and not what the media say they are. Thanks, Lydia. So welcome to Peter Ball, who's a tax partner from Smith & Williamson. Peter, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure, thanks, Rachel. The, so my background is I've worked uh, historically through some of the big accountancy firms, and in, within the past four years I've moved to Smith and Williamson. We're a uh, so we're an accountancy firm, and we employ about two thousand people in the UK, about ten offices. In terms of my kind of roles, um, I'm the I'm the scale up lead in the Bristol office, helping high growth, fast growth businesses uh, uh, grow and uh, develop. My day job is a my, it is as a tax partner, so I advise businesses on tax aspects as they're uh, building the business, raising funds, employing people, and then exiting. Um, what I also do as a team is I help recruit um, a number of graduates during the year and experienced hires. And in Bristol, we recruit about 20 graduates. So seeing, you know, hearing the conversations today about the skills that we're looking for in graduates is fantastic news to my ears. Brilliant. And as a business, what benefits would you say um, enterprise skills bring to your workforce? So I think the enterprise skills encompasses so many skills that are critical to a successful business. When you think about commercial awareness, decision making, original thinking, uh, problem solving, kind of working independently but also part of a team and being able to communicate professionally in the right context. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they have a fantastic idea of, uh, and technically they're brilliant, they've probably gone through university or they may not have, but they've got a fantastic idea. That is groundbreaking. 
but it's then how do they make the most of that and you really need the skills that through kind of the enterprise type skills that you're embedding into the curriculum at UE across the degree courses to really make the most of that and I think historically that's often more by luck than judgment that that businesses get there Mm -hmm. and make the most so so seeing uh, what's happening here is um, fantastic I think the other point is that actually being an entrepreneur and a business owner is um, it's a really lonely space to be because you're the person who's got this new idea because no one else has probably done it before you haven't done it before <laughs> so you don't know actually whether you're doing the right thing so it's quite a, and you don't have a team of people around you from day one unless you've got the support network with the kind of incubation um, setups that we have um, in Bristol now but it's, it is a lonely place so to have those enterprise skills kind of underwriting if you like your um, your, your kind of plan and approach is is, is really critical. So could you tell us a little bit more about what you, Smith and Williamson, generally look for when you're hiring in terms of skills? Sure. I think when I look at my how, I, how long I've been working for, so I've been working for about 20 years, and when I, when I, when I started work, it was very much a, in the accountancy world, it was very much a profession. It was very much a, you could go into a career library, you could look up a book and you could say, I'm going to go down that career path, and you pretty much knew what it was going to look like for the duration of your career, you thought at the time. Graduates now coming in, uh, the role in five years' time, I think, will look very different to how it looks now. And they need the ability to, they need these enterprise skills in order to adapt to what's going to be a fast-changing world. We, historically, I think, as a profession, we've looked at academics, we've looked at numeracy, we've looked at verbal reasoning, we've looked at the ability to... Uh, to, to look at legislation and case law and go, the answer is this. And actually, technology now has changed that because a lot of our clients can look to Google and probably get to 70% of the answer mm-hmm. through their own research, which they do because you know, they're, 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 they're entrepreneurial individuals who, who want to get the answer themselves. Um, our, where we need to then fit in is helping them to validate that they're doing the right thing. And we need to be able to say, yes, that's the right thing because of this and that. And we, in order to be able to advise them on that, we need to know them and understand them. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are entrepreneurial, enterprising people. We need, we need staff who, can, who they can relate to. Mm-hmm. And so we need this, the graduates and, and the, the, the people that we're recruiting to have these enterprise skills so that they can have that connection with the... With, with, the, with, with our clients. I think it also makes it, um, you, know, you have to be curious in terms of the, pe- the people that we recruit in the interview process. We, we, we're looking, that comes out then, we look for people to be interested and curious and ask informed questions about our business because we know that then when they're in their job at their desk, in their meetings, seeing people, they're going to be asking those same sorts of engaging questions of, of the people that we're working with and supporting Fantastic, thank you. So Peter, what would you say to those employers who perhaps don't value enterprise or entrepreneurial skills and experience? If, if they don't, I'd say, what would their competitors be doing? Because if they're recruiting staff and if those individuals themselves have, have, have those same skills and experience, they're going to be moving forward faster and in a different, more innovative direction than 
and themselves. So I think they're missing out on a trick if, if, they, if they don't value and develop their own enterprise skills and if they don't look for staff who have the ability to have those same skills. When, which comes back to my point earlier in terms of when you recruit someone to do a role, often we find that businesses recruit someone and actually the role of the person develops within the business after they've recruited mm-hmm. them because they thought they needed someone to do X, but actually they can unlock the skills and the, the capabilities of that person and they can take ownership and develop their own role that takes them in a whole new direction that's aligned with the business. So having recruiting people who have these skills, and they're, they're very broad, but you look at each of them and you go, within each within each business you've got your own regulatory risk environments that you need to kind of you know adapt and meet, as, as we do as accountants, but you need that you need those skill sets in order to be able to make the most of the opportunities that we have. Brilliant. I think historically, perhaps, um, some businesses may have been wary of recruiting people who show perhaps mm. entrepreneurial flair because perhaps they're worried they'll come in and they'll train mm. them and then they'll leave immediately to set up their own um, own entity on the side. Is is that a concern for Smith and Williamson, or do you say so you value the skills more and the direction it can take your business in? I guess. I, I take the view that it's better to support and help people grow in our business to make the most of what they can do because they will either, they will then hopefully help shape the future of Smith & Williamson mm-hmm. or if they don't, we've still helped them develop. Mm-hmm. They've helped the business in the meantime mm-hmm. and they'll go on to do great things themselves mm-hmm. and they'll reflect well on us as a business. And, and we, we've, had, we've had many examples of people who have developed and grown and actually felt they wanted a different challenge, and that's that's fine. But they've gone on to other businesses that have then they've needed our support as accountants and yeah. and advisors, which it works well because we've got that relationship and communication. Mm-hmm. So it helps us, it helps them because they've got an advisor who's informed and gets them. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's too short sighted to go actually kind of to keep a bit of a lid on them. Yeah. You've got to help them grow. Mavari, actually, interestingly, I think that goes back and touches on something you said mm. earlier about sort of almost the definition mm. of enterprise and entrepreneurship. And actually, if people do go on to give back to society more generally, um, that's also an, an absolutely valid um, expression of, of entrepreneurial absolutely. activity. Absolutely. And I think um, the point that was raised earlier, like around the fact that you know, there can be negative connotations associated with enterprise skills, mm. where there is the fear that that individual, you know, once they've trained them up, might go off and mm. set up their own thing, or, um, you know, whether it's about culturally some of the negative aspects of, mm. oh, they're, you know, out for themselves, it's individualistic, etc., isn't actually true to the definitions we're, we're embracing, certainly at UWE in terms of enterprise and, and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's a very valuable skill, I think, the key thing about enterprises is that package, it's that mindset to be able to, to develop. And what's quite unique about UWE is it's not just about seeing this as a benefit for students and graduates, but actually enabling staff to explore new ideas and develop. Mm-hmm. And it's that innovation that enables your business to be a little bit more resilient, react to change, um, you know, because you're also operating within that, that, that same sort of uncertain and ambiguous environment. Mm-hmm. So just to touch on a few of the points that have been picked up by um, 
by all of you actually, um, you've all talked about networks in one way or another and how, I guess, how valuable they are to developing enterprise skills and to, to being part of growing a, growing a business. Um, do, I don't know, do, do I want to say anything about mm. how people can access those or how, how businesses can help staff to access those? Yeah, I mean, I think there has to be recognition that everyone doesn't come with the same networks. Mm-hmm. So there is, I mean, we call it social capital. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, the networks that your parents might have or, or your friends might have that you develop throughout your lifetime um, are, are different for, for each individual. And what's really important, um, I think, from what Lydia was saying, was the fact, you know, if you're a refugee and you've had to leave your homeland because of war or famine or, or whatever else, and you've ended up in this country, um, it can be quite isolating. And it's a real challenge, particularly if you're trying to do something like set up a business, to understand actually where you can, can access clients, how you can connect to, to, to people that can enable you, whether it's, you know, accountancy, whether it's, you know, legal support, you know, you are working within a new legal framework. So even being able to understand that, um, and then from a philosophical perspective, I mean, a lot of what I've talked about in terms of enterprise and entrepreneurship comes from a very Western view. If you're from, you know, a different culture, you've also got those those you know intercultural components as well, and those challenges, and we see that within our students too, um, in terms of diversity of of, of students, diff- different backgrounds, different cultures, etc. And so, therefore, networks are really really important. So anything that we can do as an institution to enable and enhance those networks um, is key. And one of the things we run, for instance, within our um, startup incubator, student ventures, is um, Startup Drinks Bristol. And it normally happens uh, the third Tuesday of the month. Uh, We take it out of the campus, so we actually do it down in the city centre. And we invite people from the community so businesses can attend. Uh, You've got University of Bristol students, so you're introducing a a different component there. And then, of course, our students. And it's it's very much informal networking, and it's supported in in a sense that before they go down, they get um, access to to workshops around understanding networking, how to approach people, how to engage in those conversations, etc., um, and then they get to try it. So it's, it's the learning by doing approach. So they're able to, to try it, how, how they network and, and how they can build up those networks here before they then go out into, into the world and have to you know, attend these networking events. I think we've all been through it, yeah. <laughs> standing there with our coffee going, everybody looks like they're having a really interesting conversation. Who do I approach? Yeah. And, you know, the awkward body language, yeah. you know, associated with networking event. So there's, there's that sort of, um, you know, physical networking side of things, but then there's also online. Mm-hmm. And I think what's quite interesting about the change um, in terms of a student uh, population and, and, and um, the change in terms of how people communicate now is obviously the growth of, of social media and online networking. Um, so Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, you know, there's different ways in which people can actually develop those connections. Mm-hmm. So again, it's how you enable and facilitate that within an institution yeah. to develop whether it's community practice or, or access to, to new employment networks mm-hmm. so that, that they can learn, they can hear from people more experienced than them I think in terms it's of doing personal it, journeys. It, it's taking your own personal take on it, mm. having your own personal take on it, because personally I, I find that getting to networking drinks mm. quite hard because it's going up to people that you don't know and having mm. a conversation that in theory you know I find yeah. that quite difficult it's, yeah. so, but it is, it's kind of a, yeah. it's kind of adapting to, it's learning from that and accepting that 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 doesn't reflect badly on you it just reflects on your own personal soul yeah. so I think you find your own ways of building relationships 
and if they if it's genuine and it's with integrity and you can communicate clearly with them and appropriately mm-hmm. then the work and the and the connections will follow mm-hmm. and the i think having also the second point is that if the peer to peer networks over time really um count for such a huge amount it isn't just about getting to know the the people further you know for for with more experience it's about building maintaining and doing the right thing within your peer group because you're all going on that journey you know yeah. over the next over your life of your career and life and that's is is making that it's getting kind of personal enjoyment out of that having a connection because that makes the working life so much more um, enjoyable yeah. doing what works for you mm-hmm. rather than going I should be doing that and if it mm-hmm. isn't working that's a you know yeah. I'm not doing my job yeah. <laughs> fantastic and one other thing again I wanted to pick up which I think you've, you've all touched on is um, how difficult potentially it's going to be for people who are coming to the job market now or have recently and will do in the future in the sense of perhaps historically people have, will have been in one career for more or less the time they finished university through to the point at which they retired and now we're expecting people to come to the workplace with skills that will enable them to have one, two, three different jobs um, and take different trajectories and how I guess enterprise skills will enable people to do that more more readily or more easily. I don't know, if, I don't know if Peter, if you've got a... Yeah, this a, is it's a hot topic for us because we, yeah. as, as accountants, and tax, you know, we, we prepare tax returns each year. Yeah. And you go to some countries now, they don't prepare tax returns each year because it's all online. So things are going to be changing over a period of time and, and the UK tax authorities are bringing in electronic filing. Um, so the, peop- the skill sets of people coming in 10 years ago, where it's predominantly, well, it could be predominantly office-based for people mm-hmm. if they wanted to be office-based. I think in 10 years' time, that's going to be the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. And there'll be technology and there'll be client-facing work. So having people who've got these enterprise skills, if they've got those and they can demonstrate those, not just in a work environment, but in their personal life, yeah. we know that they'll then be able to adapt and make the most of these opportunities that mm-hmm. we know will be there in a changing world. Yeah, and I think in an educational context, you know, it's said that one of the biggest challenges in education at the moment is educating young people um, and our students for jobs that don't even exist yet. Um, and I think that's something that, that everyone is, is sort of grappling with. And, you know, you can, you can make some assumptions. I mean, there's emerging themes around digital skills, enterprise skills, etc., and the word that, that Lydia picked up was really important in terms of enterprises. And the reason, you know, I'm so passionate about it is that is that word resilience and actually developing that resilience amongst um, our, our student body means that they can enable and adapt to change and and, and setbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't necessarily always get the job you want, but actually, you know, how do you deal with that situation? How do you iterate? How do you change um, career pathways, etc.? Something else that's quite interesting is um, we often talk about education from that, you know, zero to 18 uh, bracket and then, of course, higher education, 18 to 21. But increasingly, education is likely to become much more around lifelong learning because people are thinking and, and, you know, either through necessity um, or through opportunity, changing their careers throughout their lifetimes, reacting to to the change in, in the workplace, you know, the gig economy, et cetera. Um, access to education at those points is becoming much 
more prevalent. So as a higher education institution, we're, we're quite uniquely placed to mm -hmm. ensure that we're not just obviously ensuring that our offer in terms of the, the traditional offer, the undergraduate opportunities, but also the postgraduate opportunities and the professional development opportunities. And that's something that, that UE is very much, you know, capitalising on at the moment is, you know, how do we ensure that those professional development opportunities are available to, to, to our region, to our communities, and, and actually wider than that through through online courses, um, etc. So um, there's something quite interesting there in terms of the students are coming through, how do we educate them for the future, but also how do we enable that lifelong learning? Because people who will have left university 20 years ago might be facing those same uncertainties and ambiguities and challenges. How do we engage with them and support them through those those life changes, mm -hmm. um, as well as those those ones that are recently graduating? Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, potentially very first, um, if you could just give one key piece of advice um, for our audience to take away from this episode, either it's entirely whether it's a professional piece of advice or, or aimed at students. Try something new, is what I would say. I said before that you know, enterprise entrepreneurship in my in my mind is is, is around practice, mm -hmm. and is practice orientated. Um, and one of the key attributes around that is the ability to try new things. So embrace new opportunities. Um, I always say to students when they come to me with an idea, um, and it's interesting. You get two sorts of entrepreneurial students. You get the ones that have got, you know, an idea, they're completely, you know, confident in that idea. They just want to go out and implement it and see if it works. Great. But then you get this other set of students that have maybe the most amazing idea. It could be incremental. It could be, you know, completely new and, and, and life changing. But they're a bit afraid and they often say, well, what happens if I fail? You know, we've not really talked about failure much, but actually that's often the question is, yeah, but if I fail, you know, it's, it's going to be the end of the world. And when we talk about resilience, we can't talk about resilience without talking about failure. And I think for me, the one piece of advice really is that the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work, <laughs> you know? And at the end of the day, you've learned from that experience. And so therefore trying something new isn't the end of the world. I mean, I tried my business. I wasn't that passionate about it. I stopped running my business. You know, like yeah. I may go back to it eventually. But the thing is, is that, you know, you can either decide that you're not that interested and then therefore you want to iterate or, you know, you can go back and, and do something else. But I think there is a lot of fear attached to that. And partly, you know, it's about uh, the, the risks. And when I talk about entrepreneurship, I'm, I don't think it's just about, it's not just about taking risks, it's about risk mitigation mm -hmm. and about understanding actually the, the gamble that you're taking. And so when I say that, I do say it within the frame of, I understand that, you know, you don't want to be quitting your job and going off and setting up your own business. But actually a lot of people try out lifestyle businesses, mm -hmm. small amounts of money to try something new, actually it could go somewhere. You know, you could realise your passion and it could end up being your permanent employment. So I think it's that that's my, my thing. Try something new and don't don't be afraid to to fail. To, to fail. Brilliant. And Peter, have you got something you would like people to take away or to think about? I think it's don't get buried in the detail. Try and stand back and ask um, be be curious and interested. And if people can then see that you are genuinely interested in them and what they're doing then you're halfway there. Mm -hmm. And I think coming back to your point on the risk mitigation, you know, the clients that we deal with who end up either selling or, or growing, not necessarily always selling, really successful businesses, their history is usually dotted with projects or companies or ideas that just didn't get off the ground. Yeah. And while we kind of fixate on the, 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 the unicorns and the, mm -hmm. 
and the real success stories, there's a backstory to that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, but it's hard when you're just starting out to think that that yeah. could come through. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you all today. Um, yeah, and thank you again for the, for the nuggets and the takeaways that, that you've given us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of our Future Impact podcast series. We hope you enjoyed listening and have taken something away from this episode. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics discussed or have an idea or a topic to include in future episodes, please do email us for further information using bbec at uwe.ac.uk.